Welcome to Porter Wright's Antitrust Law Source. Welcome back. Uh, this is Jay Levine, your host of Antitrust Law Source, and I'm joined um, by Matt Curtin, uh, the founder of Interhack, a cybersecurity company. Uh, and we're going to continue our discussion about uh, data breaches and cybersecurity, and we're going to focus mainly on um, incident response plans now and um, whether assessments that are done today, uh, how long um, do they, uh, well, you know, how long is their validity, um, and things like that. So without any more ado, uh, let's get to it. I, from my perspective, it seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, obviously assessing your, your network, your data housing facilities, assessing your operations is key to knowing where you're vulnerable and whether you want to spend the time and money to shore up those vulnerabilities. But again, that assessment, if it takes place in 2016, you can't assume that assessment is still valid. I mean, maybe even the next day, but you can't, certainly five years later. I mean, this is a dynamic rather than a static type of analysis and review. Once it's been completed, though, you have a benchmark from which to to launch, right? Yeah, certainly. Uh, different kinds of assessments have different uh, shelf lives, if mm-hmm. you will. So if you're talking about a, uh, a process where you assess risk to the organization, you're going to be looking at what are the threats uh, and what are the assets. If you've got to start with the assets, what are the things that you're worried about losing? Mm-hmm. The fact is, an organization's assets probably don't change that much day to day. Right. The threat sources... Uh, probably don't change that much day-to-day. The threats that the threat sources might use probably don't change much day-to-day. So if you're talking about um, a risk assessment, you're ultimately going to have to factor in things like vulnerabilities. Vulnerabilities can change day-to-day, even hour-to-hour. So uh, a lot of this comes down to the question of knowing what are the elements that go into your risk and what kind of exposure you have and recognizing that some things don't change very often and then you can spend your time dealing with the things that do change, change often and that's going to be your vulnerability. So right. in an engagement that we might undertake with a client, we'll perform a risk assessment. We will also have a vulnerability assessment that we perform and the way that that works is that we'll do the risk assessment and we will be able to plug in the results from the vulnerability assessment, you can have us come back and do the vulnerability assessment again three months later, recompute everything for the risk assessment. We don't have to go look at the assets again because the assets are largely the same. Right. Okay. And the sources of the assets tend to be the same or at least the same type. Exactly. Um, That makes makes perfect sense. From, From my perspective, it is you know, you want to have, you know, yes, I want my clients to be as protected as possible, but we all know you can be protected as much as you want. And that, you know, those with malicious intent tend to be one step ahead in any event. So the question is, if and when something happens, are you prepared? And for me, that's a incident response plan that too often I find companies think they have, but they don't really have. Um, or they figure out, you know, they're going to try to adapt some other crisis management plan they have to this, and it doesn't really necessarily work. The principles might be the same, but the application isn't. 
And what I try to do is I try to get these clients to let's map out, I mean, from the minute that first call comes all the way through the inevitable litigation, map out how we're going to deal with things. We may, we'll adjust on the fly, but who gets the call, who's doing what, when are you, when are you coming in, who's your point person for each type of action, how do we keep things privileged, right? Because, you know, when this finally does end up in a civil court, you're, you know, you're going to want some stuff privileged, which means, you know, you got to get your counsel in there early. And it seems that such an incident response plan should really be reviewed and drafted by both counsel, experts, and, and operations people to make sure we, you know, you and I can write the most golden plan, but if it doesn't work for a company, they, they, they can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, having subject matter experts involved, uh, having the plan uh, is more important to sketch out an imperfect plan that goes end to end than it is to have a perfect plan that covers 10% of the problem. Right. So a rough sketch end-to-end -end is great because you can work with that. And the fact is that like any kind of a sketch, you're going to draw those lines again a little bit more firmly on the mm -hmm. second time through. Uh, and, and that gives the company the ability to be both flexible and also to have some idea of where it's ultimately going. So I think that's a, that's a great thing to do. Um, and, and something that we always uh, recommend and, and make sure that we get all of those different people at the table because, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, uh, if somebody tries to talk to me from an IT department, they'll ask me questions that are ultimately legal questions and I know just enough to say that's a legal question. Let's <laughs> let's make sure. Remember that point where I told you we got to bring the lawyers in? Right. Well, this is why we're there, right? This is why we're <laughs> Right. Well, and it also, from a purely... Um, you know, personnel standpoint, you also don't want to have turf battles while you're trying to resolve things. Yeah, this is not the time for that kind of thing. There's <laughs> <laughs> time is of the essence, and I think you said offline that you know more more problems occur in a breach response because of bad responses in the first few hours than the than the breach itself. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, we've got plenty of examples that that we can point to where. Um, we have a law firm will engage us to deal with a breach. And the reason why that's happened is because somebody recognized there was a problem and so it went up to the CIO. The CIO goes and hires a security company uh, to perform what they're going to call a forensic analysis. They go in there and they start looking at stuff and they write this report that says you've got all of these vulnerabilities. Uh, there's a billion different ways that they can be exploited. You're completely owned. Better call the lawyers. Well, the process <laughs> of getting to that point, number one, they've got a report that is pretty bad when it gets into discovery. Right. Uh, but the process of getting to that report wound up diddling all of the key information that we need to be able to draw the lines around what has been exposed and what has not been exposed. Right. So when you ask me the question about, well, do the bad guys have access? Did the bad guys acquire? And we lose the ability to make those distinctions because somebody else was in there doing something that they didn't understand. Uh, that's, that's a bad situation to be in. We see that a lot. And, and that's key because depending the industry and depending the, the size, there are um, legal disclosure requirements and you need to be able to determine just how bad the breach was. And if 
in doing your kind of, oh my God, assessment, somebody tramples over the evidence, if you will, of trying to determine how bad the, you know, how, how voluminous it was and how many states and all that, um, you're really going to be up the creek. And federal regulators, state regulators are not going to have uh, a heck of a lot of sympathy for you. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've you know, uh, the, the other side of that is we've had cases where we have been first on the ground mm-hmm. and we have been able to secure the kind of information that we need to reconcile, you know, network uh, records against what we have on the system so we can actually show things like if there has been acquisition of this information, these other things would also be true and we can show they are not true. So we can actually do that kind of analysis to exclude the breach. A much better position for the client to be in than where they don't know, so they decide they're going to have to go forward with that disclosure even though they're not sure that anything bad actually happened. Right, and sometimes, I mean, it's a big issue here, you know, in the legal field of, you know, how much to disclose and, and when, even if, you know, you're not legally obligated. Um, you know, if you're a public company, do you need to make an 8K? Again, you know, a lot of lawyers would be very careful about that. Um, do you involve the FBI? Okay. Um, do you involve anybody else? Um, and again, those are very sensitive questions. You have questions of confidentiality. You have questions of privilege. Um, you obviously, from a shareholder perspective, have to think down the road that obviously there is a chance for um, big money damages should should there be a civil suit. And frankly, even in the types of proactive assessments, which I applaud companies for doing, um, to the extent that those assessments identify weaknesses, vulnerabilities, or the like, those two you may want to have as privileged because if you don't, <laughs> if you don't do everything Matt recommends, um, or even if you do do everything Matt recommends, but that's all you did and you didn't do the assessment again, um, there's there's problems and there's there's going to be you know it can be used against you. Yeah, that's that's always a concern is the fact of the matter is if you've got a breach of some sort, there's a failure. Something failed. Right. And whether it was the organization failed to identify the threat, failed to identify the asset is one that needed to be protected. Uh, The technology failed uh, to work as advertised. Uh, The organization's staff uh, failed to uh, operate it as recommended. Whatever is going on, something has failed. And so uh, a lot of this winds up turning into whom does it affect and what's the impact. And so again, that's where that plan for response can be very helpful because if you're talking about uh, uh, a situation where there's a vulnerability that gets exploited, the bad guys are in the system, that by itself doesn't usually mean a whole lot. Right. The bad guys in the system are probing for a way to find the credit card database, or they're probing for a way to find the medical records or whatever mm-hmm. they're looking for. The fact is, if we were able to identify that a system had been compromised before there was acquisition of the sensitive information or before the asset was credibly threatened, then the fact that we've got a failure doesn't necessarily need to turn into a big problem. Right. Uh, or if we have limits so that somebody does manage to breach some sensitive area, 
but that means that they can get only 200 records at a time. That's a very different scenario from somebody who can get 200 million records. Right. And, and you know, I preach this, and I'm sure I'm preaching this to the choir. Um, a lot of that also requires operationally the company to determine what data they really need and they really need to keep because somebody can't steal what you don't have. <laughs> Absolutely. We had a great example with a client where we were performing that kind of what we call the criticality assessment. Yeah. Uh, what is your mission? What information do you need to accomplish that mission? And then what is the impact to each information type if you lose confidentiality, if you lose integrity, if you lose availability? Going through that kind of assessment, we found that there was going to be a massive impact to this company that lost confidentiality over a database that they had. Well, it turns out that the database has all kinds of stale information in it, going back years and years and years and years. Uh, you know, the kinds of practices like keeping all of the credit card numbers that you've ever processed because right. one day you might need to refund something. But if you've got 10 years worth of that data, what are you doing that for? Exactly. That's a great example. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I handled a couple years ago, I handled a breach in a um, retail environment where the malware was on the point of sale system. And it was a kind of a flash system. So the company at first believed that only a limited amount of information could be gotten at the same time. And they believed they'd never, the, 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 credit card number was flashed through but never kept and so they figured they were on pretty um, solid ground. I mean there's still disclosure that had to be made and, all, and the like. Well it turns out that for reasons that no one is exactly sure the credit card numbers actually even though it flashed at the point of sale system got sent to another part of their network where it was stored for a couple of years. So there actually was, and that system got infiltrated as well. And I remember sitting around and everybody's looking, it's like, why do we have this information? Well, if we ask that question now, before we ever get into that boardroom, um, after the breach, it's a lot more comfortable of a conversation and we can do something about it. Yeah, it's usually uncomfortable when you've got an outside director asking a question like, why does that even exist? <laughs> uh, right, it's uncomfortable. And, and that's where key executives can you know, lose their jobs over um, you know, not only mismanaging, but not having the foresight um, to minimize institutionally the risks um, that this kind of stuff presents itself. Now, I, I think you told me that you're starting to see more proactive engagements. Yeah, th there's a couple of interesting things that are going on. I mean, sort of just dovetailing off of the last point is that, you know, in IT for the longest time, we have been trying to find a way to meet the requirements that were put before us. And if we could find a way to exceed those requirements, we always thought that was better. A system with more functionality must right. be better. And if it doesn't cost them anything more, how cool is that? The fact of the matter is, though, that those are turning into situations where we wind up with risk that is unassessed. And so I think that to a large degree, there is some uh, new thinking that we need to apply to the way that we build our systems so that instead of trying to exceed the requirements, we should try to hit the requirement exactly. 
Right. Um, and so that, I think, is in terms of a proactive, uh, is just a, a mindset uh, that makes sense to adopt. With respect to other activities that organizations are taking proactively, uh, we're starting to see a lot more traction uh, in our services where we are helping organizations to be prepared. So it's not just the assessment, here is a report, go do these things. It's very much um, more about engaging with us, staying engaged with us, training so we can go through uh, making sure that you've got a policy that actually makes sense and and, uh, is something that is going to meet common standards, Uh, being able to have people uh, conduct workshops and participate in the process of building up their own area's standard operating procedure in such a way that it complements the organization's overall plan for responding to bad things. Uh, actually performing the tabletop exercises, going beyond that and having hands-on exercises where people have to do the work that they would be doing in the event of a real breach. Like anything else that's complicated, you're going to do it wrong the first time. If you've ever had to back a trailer up attached to a car, you (laughs) know you didn't get it in there the first time the right way. You go back, it's wrong. You pull back out, you go back in. The same thing is going to be true of any kind of skill that we need to develop and so that's why training is just so critically important because people need to know how to respond Uh, they need to know what tools are going to do what tools are not going to do they need to understand how to work with each other the right people to work with Um, they need to be able to operate under stress because this is an extremely stressful condition Uh, those are all things that are learned behaviors And if you're going to do that for the first time with a real incident where a screw-up is going to cost a million dollars a piece, that's a bad place to be. Right. Well, it's interesting. There's um, two points um, connected to that. So a lot of people collect a lot of information because data analytics is the other thing that's just, you know, all the rage. And and it makes a lot of sense. And frankly, data is now becoming the new currency. I mean, that's, that's how companies advance in their industry. That's how they become disruptors. That's how a lot of startups become who and what they are. Think about all of the data Facebook and Amazon and Google are amassing and what they can do with it. And and so, and all of that is true and wonderful and all the new tools and products. But as we all know, the more data you acquire, the bigger of a threat and a target you are. So there is, on the one hand, oh, let's just get the data and we'll figure out what to do with it. That's probably not a good thing to do from a risk assessment. But yet, on the other hand, there is that very real world, we'll figure out what to do because our competitors are figuring out what to do and we need to figure out what to do. So there is that and it it requires executive strategic decision-making as to where on that spectrum of risk you want to, you know, sort of, place yourself. Yeah, you know? thinking about that kind of thing ahead of time is it can be really tricky. You know, you, you think you've got an app, it's some kind of a game or something, and the reason why you want to do this is so you can have some kind of, uh, you know, connectivity with an audience, and you're going to build up, a, you know, a, an audience of eyeballs, 
And if you don't think about something like whether somebody under 13 would want to play that game on a mobile device, <laughs> and then the question becomes, are you collecting information from a 10-year-old kid? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, that makes things a lot more complicated. Well, you got COPA and all that. Exactly. But, um, but, you know, but even if they're, you know, you're collecting data on companies, you know, who, who you serve, you're not if you don't need it right now do you really want it but maybe you'll need it in the future i mean i have a couple of clients that are you know their products are data driven and maybe they don't know what to do with all of the data but they do know that that data is critical well if that's going to be your strategic decision making that's fine but you better build a fortress around it and you better understand that there is certain responsibilities uh going forward to keeping that kind of stuff. I'll give you a good example of how something like that can have a surprising impact. Uh, we had a client that wanted us to perform a penetration test for them and that included physically breaking into the facility and getting into the machine room and all that sort of thing. One of the most fruitful sources of information was a business partner of theirs who had a lot of information about the company and from the company that was actually the subject of the investigation. They didn't maintain good security over that information we didn't attack the partner company. We just waited for the partner company to throw things away. Yeah. So they just threw it away. We spend a little time in the dumpster, and all of a sudden we've got a lot of really, really good information. Right. So you know that's just a, a very simple example of how that kind of thing uh, can come back and bite you. You're collecting information, but you don't realize responsibility you might have to right. your business partners. That would be a question for you is, is the liability. What, what, what happens well, now? It's interesting. And, and we do know that, you know, um, there are many industries where by regulation you're responsible for your business partners and affiliates and, and, the thing like, and things like that. And f in common law, civil litigation right now, I mean, you can't, I can't just accept your word necessarily that you're secure, um, you know. In, in anything else, I mean, I've got to do proper due diligence. I can't be blasé about it. I can't just accept your um, your word. I got to, you know, essentially ensure myself that I'm 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 keeping track of what's going on, who's got what, and is there a need to know? Is mm -hmm. there a real need to know? So I mean, and that's clear. And I think the other uh, point that you mentioned is the, this kind of drill. I mean, listen, all of our, uh, you know. Emergency services, they do drills all the time. I live in Washington, D.C., right? There's always a counter-terrorist drill of some sort, um, whether it's the metro breaking down, whether it's whatever. I mean, they do these drills so that they get proficient at it. They see what works, what doesn't work. And therefore, when, God forbid, if something happens, they're prepared. Well, this is really no different other than the fact that Generally, we're not using you know live ammo and 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 stuff like that. But it really does. If you take a company on a drill, just like a fire drill or any other type of drill, you take them all the way through it. Uh, one, they understand the importance a little bit more, and two, now you can see what works, what doesn't work, who should have responsibilities, and people are transient, so you can't just let all of this knowledge be resident in one person. It has to be institutionalized. Yeah, and that's that's a really interesting thing because if you don't have people who are experienced actually working with the procedures, if you expect them to go pull the procedures manual off the shelf when something happens, you're probably not living in reality. I mean, that's right. just not the way that most people operate. 
uh, even people who have gone through training, as soon as something becomes stressful, then they wind up falling back on things that are more comfortable. So the newly acquired skill right. is not their go-to. Right. And so that's the reason why you just have to practice over and over again. Right. Um, Doesn't mean you have to do a fire drill every week or every whatever, but but just even even training and compliance. I mean, this is no different than compliance training. Yeah. And that kind of training, so it does try to become second nature or at least third nature. Um, so that you're right, so that you don't fall back on your panicky default persona and that, okay, I know what to do. This is what we're going to do. Let's, you know, so when the CEO comes, you know, who's on his vacation in Italy, comes calls screaming, you can assure him or her that you've got it covered. I mean, you know, it, it comes down to almost as simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the organization's ability to respond is a team effort. Everybody has a role to play, but they need to understand their role. There's a lot of platitudes that float around security, like, you know, security is everybody's responsibility. Okay, when, when you say something like that, it also means that nobody's Nobody, responsible. Right. So, the, if everything is relevant, nothing is relevant. Exactly. So <laughs> the, the, the question becomes, what role do I play? It's different from the question or from the answer, what role you play. Both of us need to play that role, however, because if we don't, there's a gap, and that means the organization is not getting the job done. Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, anything else you want to uh, enlighten our listeners about? I think the big thing is, is really to recognize that at the end of the day, what we're talking about with cybersecurity is fundamentally no different from any other kind of security. There right. is always the question of how much... Uh, value is in this asset and how much of that value am I willing to spend to keep it and uh, that's a strategic decision that has to be made the answer is going to be different for every organization but when leadership can make a decision like that and can articulate the decision like that that'll make it easier for the rest of the organization to behave in a way that is consistent with what leadership wants right and, and the value of that asset is not only what it can do for you affirmatively, but w what damage can it cause you when you lose control of the asset. Absolutely. So, um, but um, these are all um, interesting times, and uh, I'm sure um, anybody has any issues, uh, obviously, give us a call. Um, uh, Matt, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, you can uh, get a hold of me by email at cmcurtin, that's Charlie, Mike, Charlie, Uniform, Romeo, Tango, India, November, at interhack.com. Uh, you can be called in the office, uh, area code 614-545-4225. Um, and your website is interhack.com? That is correct. That's an easy one. Um, as everybody who listens to this podcast should know, um, I, I'm on Twitter at at J-A-Y-L-E-V-I-N-E. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, email is the letter J-L-E-V-I-N-E at porterright.com. I won't go through the uh, Army um, call signals for that. <laughs> um, you can reach me in D.C. at 202-778-3021. Look us up on the um, web, porterright.com. We thank you very much for listening, and uh, we look forward to uh, engaging um, each other and engaging with you in the future. Have a great day. 
Porter Wright Morrison Arthur LLP offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. This content is not intended as legal advice for any purpose and you should not consider it as such. All rights reserved.